Sarah McCall waits for her garage door to open so she can meet her great-grandson, Brooks, for the very first time. Look, mi chiquito, look, mi chiquito, mi chiquito, capacho. I had to talk to you in Spanish. Sarah gushes over this little baby boy inside her home in Muskogee, Oklahoma. She's a short 80-year-old woman from Cuba. All gathered in her garage is her daughter, her grandchildren, and two great-grandsons. The family describes her as loud, passionate, and easily distracted and totally expected that she would respond to seeing baby Brooks about like this. This is amazing to me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I don't know. Oh, my goodness, my grandson. Growing up, Sarah's family didn't know a lot about their Cuban heritage, especially how Sarah got to America. Partly because Sarah's storytelling is a little disjointed, but she just didn't talk about it very much. They always kind of accepted that she's here. That was until about five years ago, when something pretty terrible jolted Sarah into wanting to share more. We don't know how it happened. I like to believe that he took off walking. Um, That's the last person that saw him, said he took off walking. This is Sarah's daughter, Leslie. There was a tragedy in the family, and Sarah's son, Leslie's brother, passed away unexpectedly. There was a memorial service held in Muskogee. And after the service, we all met here at my mom's house, Isn't that horrible? You only see family when something bad happens. While we were here, my mom, you know how you kind of start feeling sentimental and just with a tragedy. We were all sitting talking in the living room, and uh, my mom said, she said, I wanted you guys to know some things. Sarah started telling stories about Cuba, how she came to America. And Leslie started to piece together just exactly what her mom was saying. She said that she worked for the United States government at Guantanamo Bay and that she was a spy. That's right. This woman was a U.S. spy at Guantanamo Naval Base during the Cuban Missile Crisis. This is be very secret and very careful. From Nashville Public Radio, I'm Jacob Lewis, and you are listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today, a family eager to learn about their Cuban heritage gets a lot more than they bargained for. Uh, We've heard her story uh, a couple of times now, but it's always been very disjointed. You've met my grandma. Okay, so I'm going to pull back the curtain here a little bit. This is Robert Brosset, Sarah's grandson. I went to high school with Robert. He wants to know his grandma's story for a couple of reasons. One wanted to get it in a linear story. And I also wanted to get it captured for my family going forward from here. So my sons can remember her, hopefully, uh, later on down the line. And so they understand uh, where their Cuban heritage came from. As a little girl, Sarah's family would go to a beach called Baracoa. Sarah would sit out on the rocks looking across the ocean, imagining America. She told herself one day she would find out what's on the other side. Now that she's here, one of the only marks of Cuba in her house is her accent. I'm Cuban, 100%, and I love it, but I'm happy with the United States too, you know? So, but, you know, because it's hard to say when you leave your country, you know. 
After this business about Grandma being a spy came out, everyone wants to know more about Cuba and the story. So, with her family all gathered, Sarah makes frituras and a Cuban meat and rice dish. And then she lets them try some very sweet and strong coffee. Today's the first time I've ever had Cuban coffee. I've known about it. I remember seeing her do it. I never had it because I didn't care. But I wished I would have been raised with more of a Cuban culture. I'm not sure why Sarah didn't tell them more. I think that maybe because the men in her life when she got to America just weren't that interested and she wanted to do her best to fit in. But now, it's obvious. The family wants to know. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm fine and very excited for everything. This has been the happiest weekend. I mean, has so many, but this is wonderful. Then my grandson going to do this for me, and I'm going to do the best I could. Sarah starts by telling me about where she was born, a small town in Cuba called Manzanillo. But her family moved when she was seven, all the way to Guantanamo. I remember I going the train, and the trees go too fast. That was the era of President Batista. He was essentially a dictator, but he had U.S. backing because he was friendly to U.S. businesses in Cuba. But then a radical change came over the country, the Cuban Revolution, led by Fidel Castro. The charismatic leader assumed power. We like it because it's to change the government of Batista, the President Batista. But Castro started to prove to be a dictator in his own right, and some Cubans started to change their minds about him, especially folks like Sarah's father, who owned their own business, in this case, a butcher shop. I remember daddy talking in the house. Do you know the communists, they say all your property go to, to the government. Nobody, not rich people. Everybody has to share what they have. And my daddy's business has to, to go to the, to the government. Sarah's dad was able to barter using meat from his butcher shop to help their family survive. But by the time Sarah was a young adult, there was no real money to be made in Cuba. And she didn't have much of an education outside of, well, being intentionally brought up to be a housewife. But next door to her in Guantanamo was a U.S. naval base. It had been there in some form or fashion since the early 1900s. But since the Cuban Revolution, it was a little more controversial. But unlike other places on the island... The naval base was hiring. It was Christmas time. They need somebody to wrap gifts. At the base, they had a few people who wrapped presents that U.S. soldiers were sending back to the States for the holidays. Sarah had an artistic flair and would make little roses out of paper and do special pleated patterns on the gifts. I do those things and they like it and they used to send it off here. But after Christmas, then they don't need it too much. After the seasonal work, she got hired in a different department. The shoes. Shoes? Shoes? In the Navy chain. Yeah, shoes. Zapatos, yeah. Since a lot of U.S. soldiers married Cuban women, their wives might not know a lot of English. So when they would come to the Navy Exchange, which was basically a department store on the base, Sarah was the one who could talk to them in Spanish. And whether it was Spanish or English, everybody just seemed to love her. My personality? I always like, love my personality. So she got switched to a pretty good gig, a hostess in the officer's club. It was big club to eat and big restaurant. She would make sure the table settings were in order and seat the guests. She got to meet all sorts of big stars of the era who were performing there for the USO. Talking Bob Hope, Red Skelton, Andy Williams, and her favorite, Fats Domino, who sang a song called Walking to New Orleans. 
that she would later sing to her children. And I walk into New Island. The base was like a mini America, and America meant capitalism, a way to make some money. She was buying makeup and shoes. She bought some drapes for her mom's house in Guantanamo City. She was living there with her parents. Almost every day, though, she would pass through a checkpoint and regularly commute on and off the base, something that would prove to be important later. One day, Sarah saw a guy driving a bus from the naval base. He looked American. His name? Otto Poland. Otto Poland. O-T-T-O Poland. Just like the country. His dad was a U.S. Marine, and his mom was from Cuba. So he actually grew up on the base. And because of the way he looked, Sarah assumed he didn't speak Spanish. So in front of him, she whispered to a friend of hers that he looked cute. And Otto, who understood every word, turned to her and said, Well, thank you. I must die. So embarrassed. Can you imagine? <laughs> Otto and Sarah became good friends. He trusted Sarah, and Sarah trusted him. One day, she was with her good friend Mary, and Otto pulled them both aside. Otto finally told me one time, Sarah, I'm going to ask you something and think about it. Don't be scared because I know you can do it. We're going to need somebody who still go in and out. He needed someone who wouldn't draw suspicion that consistently went on and off the base. Because if she wanted it, there was a new job available. This was a period where Cuba had gotten a little cozy with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Not liking that very much, President Kennedy signed off on a plot to try and overthrow the Castro regime using an army of U.S.-trained Cuban exiles. Cuban revolutionary troops such as these have invaded Castro's leftist island fortress. This was the Bay of Pigs invasion. You may have heard of it. It was a disaster. It was quickly found out and thwarted and made Kennedy look, well, not so good to Cuba and the Soviets. So tensions were getting a little high between the two countries. What Otto was asking Sarah to do was take messages from the base and deliver them to contacts out into Cuba, which, given the political climate, could be quite dangerous. Sure, be careful, he said. And if you want to quit, I can quit. Because she trusted Otto and her friend Mary thought it was exciting, she decided to do it. So a meeting was set. Yeah, I go to the meeting with, with Mary and... Uh, and when I go to the meeting and he's there, Otto go with us, he said, they come in a few minutes. Now enters another key player in Sarah's life, Commander Rumble. Now I'm saying Rumble, but the truth is I have no idea what his name is because Sarah doesn't know how to spell it. It could be Rumble, Rombo, Rambo. It could be Rambo, French, like E-A-U-X. It could just be a code name. And according to Sarah, there are only three things that she knows for sure about Commander R, I'll call him. One, he was white. Two, he had hair. <laughs> and three, she liked him. Here come Commander Rumble. We have about three or four more guys, all with a big uniform for the mayor. mayor, mayor how do you call that? Mero? Mero. Okay. Yeah, because they big chats. And each one had a, 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 a suitcase does for business. Like a briefcase? Yeah, briefcase. And I go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Oh my lord. Commander Rumble interviewed her. This is be very secret and very careful. They're going to send message with me 
we're going to give you sometimes some writing, the old envelopes that I can put in my girdle and I put it on, or in my bra, or in my shoes. Sarah would get envelopes and hide them in her bra or shoe and then go out into Cuba. She would deliver the package and then sometimes even get something to send back. If they catch me, that's it. I don't go to the base anymore or they go and kill me or they put me in jail like I have a friend live in Florida. They catch her and she go in jail. Sarah delivered all sorts of messages with a 100% success rate. But the last message she ever delivered, that one was a close call. After the break, a near-death experience, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and just how Sarah McCall got to America. Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio, also known as WPLN. And they do a lot of great work, like support this show. Hello. If you want to help support Neighbors, great reporting, and those classic programs you've come to love, give to Nashville Public Radio. You can do so by going to WPLN.org and clicking support. When you are asked which podcast you listen to, be sure to click on Neighbors. So thanks for helping, and also depending on the amount you give, you can get some pretty sweet Nashville Public Radio socks. <laughs> Just saying. All right. Back to the show. Every time Sarah left the base, she would go through a checkpoint to get back into Cuba. One day on base, she got what seemed like a very important envelope. This one would be a little different. She would have to leave base, go home, pack, get on a plane in Guantanamo City, and fly to Havana on the other side of the island. There, she would meet a man and a woman at the airport and give it to them. The timing here is what is so striking. It was two days before the Cuban Missile Crisis started, mid-October 1962. That was where the U.S. spots mid-range Soviet nukes in Cuba. That meant Cuba and the Soviet Union could wipe out a good chunk of America in five minutes and quite possibly start World War III and end civilization as we know it. No big deal. I don't know what Sarah's message was. Neither did she. Was it to throw the Cubans off with false intel? Was she tipping someone off about the missiles before the official photo of them was taken by a U-2 spy plane? It's all just speculation. But for her, she knew her first task was to get her message through the checkpoint back into Cuba from the base. So she stuffed the message in a box of smokes. You can bring one box of cigarettes. That's all. No carton, just a little box. On the base? From the base to Guantanamo. Okay. So the regulation that Cuba would allow you to take from the base into their country was one box. The only problem was Sarah forgot that she had two. They, they see my purse, and somehow, I don't know why I saw the little box in there. I used to smoke a little bit when I'm young, when I'm stupid and young. <laughs> so it, I have two. They took her to another room and looked through her purse, grabbing the box with the message in it, holding it up, they told Sarah, Okay, we're going to let you go at that time, but next time you know what is the regulation. Shaking, Sarah said that she made a promise to God that day. No more cigarette, no even one. <laughs> this next part of the story is a little bit fuzzy, but the broad brushstrokes are important. Sarah and her other spying friend, Mary, were together on a bus heading toward their homes. They were stopped, and a man in a Cuban uniform told Sarah to get off and get in a car full of men. I'm trembling. I go, oh my God, from here, they're going to 
they're going to take me somewhere. She thought she had been made, that she would be put in jail or killed. But there was something unique about this man in uniform. He also used to date one of Sarah's sisters. She didn't know what to think. Was this man a friend or an enemy? I thought that's the longer little trip I ever know with him. Without saying a word, the car pulled up a block away from Sarah's house and let her out. That was a bigger miracle, you know. Sarah was safe, but later she would find out that Mary, her spying friend, did not fare so well. She disappeared and they found her body later on. Sarah, safe at home, still had a job to do. But she had to convince her mom that it was a completely normal and ordinary thing to suddenly need to get on a plane to Havana. My mother don't know, my father, oh my goodness, no. They, they don't know that you're doing this? Okay. Luckily, she had a sister that lived in Havana. She said she was going to go visit her. Her parents were confused why she was so adamant, but finally let her go. Sarah was running late. When she arrived at the airport, she looked out at the runway. Already the plane motor is, is on. Her plane was about to leave. She ran out on the runway, waving the plane down. And I got it. Sarah flew to Havana on the west side of Cuba. When she got off the plane, she was supposed to meet someone in the airport and give them the message that was in the cigarette box. True enough. Would they tell me that person wait for me? In fact, it was Tuba talking like a lady, a man talking, but I seen the right place they tell me, plus the clothes, the same with the clothes. Color, what color? It was a successful drop. She stayed with her sister and then got a flight back to Guantanamo. But while in the air, the world below started to turn upside down. Usually on the flight, she would see the ocean with just a couple of ships near the base. But that day I see so many, so many. It was completely around the base like that, chips, 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 American. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The crisis had begun. The missiles spotted and a naval blockade put in place by President Kennedy. What happened next was one of the most dangerous standoffs of the world's history. And Sarah had no idea what was going to happen next. No one did. But Sarah had a friend who worked on base, and she came back home that night. Sarah, we don't supposed to tell anybody, but I know that people will. She told Sarah that people were saying Kennedy was going to bomb Cuba. So somehow they were going to get a message out. To have Every little light in the city of Guantanamo off. Not even one candle on everything off. Oh, my gosh. And sure enough, later that night, some trucks came around with loudspeakers. Attention, you know, attention, Pueblo de Cuba. And they start saying it. Put every light off. The next few days were tense, but essentially nothing happened just a bunch of ships and a standoff. Sarah felt an urgency to get back to the base. She felt like she needed to tell them everything she'd been hearing. But of course, her mother was terrified and felt like it wasn't safe. Please don't go, my mama friend. Please don't go. And and then I said, Mama, I have to go. It's my job. They count on me. Sarah did go back. She told them what she knew. And then... She got some advice. Rumble and, and auto and everything, they said, that's it. 
They basically said they didn't want Sarah to leave the base anymore. It was too dangerous. And Commander R went one step further. He convinced her that if she wanted to have a good life, she should go to America. And he would do whatever he could to help make that happen. She did want to go to the U.S. She always had. But to leave without seeing her family one more time was unacceptable to her. So she ignored Otto Poland and Commander R's advice. I go one more time. Because I say I have to see my family. If I go to the state, I have to see my mom and daddy who've been so sweet. And my sisters. So I go. She tells him this is it. She's going to go work on the base for a bit and then leave to live in Atlanta, Georgia with her sister Lydia. Her parents were taken aback a little. They go to the bedroom and talk to each other. They say, Sarah being a good daughter up to this age, and she's respectable, and she deserves it. Do whatever she wants, because she is already, you know, adult. And they say, so if she going to be in here and unhappy, I prefer that she open to do what she wants. And, and face her destiny, the, the destiny, how you call it? Destiny. Yeah, the destiny. Sarah went back to the base and lived in the housing there. With her parents' blessing, she stayed there even past the end of the crisis. In fact, she worked for three months. During that time, Otto Poland gave her a ring. He wanted to marry her. Sarah wasn't so sure. There were a lot of other fish in the sea. But Otto was also planning to go to the U.S., so she just told him she would meet him there when she landed. As for Commander R, he and his wife bought Sarah some luggage, shoes, and a fur coat. They even gave her $500 and helped her with her paperwork. In the end, it all happened kind of fast. She flew to Norfolk, Virginia. It was January, so the fur coat came in handy. She never did meet up with Otto Poland, and she's glad she didn't. His name pops up a few times in some recently declassified U.S. documents. It's in connection with a plot to bomb a travel agency in Puerto Rico. Sarah and I read another article, from an obviously slanted Cuban newspaper, mind you, but suggested that Otto led a violent, murderous, and legally questionable past. So alone, Sarah got a car to Georgia, where she lived with her sister Lydia for a while. She didn't go back to Cuba to visit for 16 years. And now she lives in Muskogee, Oklahoma, with her husband, Jack. How would you describe her? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely fantastic. She's a very pretty girl, very dedicated, a fine mother. Her children, she takes wonderful care of them. And me, she takes care of me. Made me fix my hair before we done this. Wanted me to put on a different shirt. and all that. So she takes real good care of me. At the end of our interview, Sarah was looking in her bedroom for something. It was something special that she wanted to give her grandson, Robert. He's in the Army and is being deployed soon. She wanted to give this to him before he left. I'm going to present him with this rosary and to tell thank you and to keep this for memory forever. This rosary, or escapulario, is really important to her. It's a beaded prayer necklace. There's even a song that goes with this presentation, like a little ceremony. This is the capulario. Que no sea parte de ti. Then never get away from him. Cuídalo como un rosario que yo me voy a morir. And then I give a kiss and give a, you know what I mean? This is a capulario. 
then I want to keep it forever. And wherever he be, he can pray with that forever. God going to help him. But take care, please. Take care because I'm going to die. And I'm going to give it to him. And then I want when this little one grown up, he can give it to his son. Uh, he going to have some sense after he grown up. <laughs> and if he call your age the way I know he, he raised, he know what I mean. Sarah gathered her whole family in the kitchen and asked Robert to step forward. But I'm going to give it to you. Okay. I do know the meaning. Uh-huh. And I want you to pass it to your children. When they grow up, they're going to be like you. Friendly, sweet, um, smart. Okay, now I'm just embarrassing my high school friend. The family says Sarah did pass on a few traditions to them. At New Year's Eve, everyone throws out a glass of water to symbolize getting rid of bad luck. And they eat 12 grapes for good luck, one for each month. They also all use Vicks VapoRub when they're sick because no matter what your symptoms were, Sarah would show up by your bedside with a jar of Vicks to rub on your feet. And all of her grandchildren sing this song to their children. Robert says he knows he and his sons will carry on these traditions, but he also wants them to remember that there was a sacrifice from our family to make that happen. (laughs) And I'm getting emotional. But yeah. Sarah had a lot of production tips for me about the order of her story. There's a lot I left out, like the years that she lived in Morocco. But she was adamant that she wanted me to end like this. Earlier I told you that when she was a little girl, she went to the beach and imagined America, what was on the other side of the ocean. Now she knows, and she wants everyone to know that she's had a good life and that she loves her family. I want to sit and get it on the memory of the family in Cuba and my, my the grandmother, great-grandmother and my children to remember us that it can pass to generation. Okay? Okay, I'm going to end with one more final thing because it's just too good to leave out. And then I have a big announcement, so stick around for that. Sarah has one Cuban friend in Muskogee plus her sister and her sister's husband. That's three Cuban people total in Muskogee, Oklahoma, that Sarah knows. Her friend, Jose Luis Gonzalez, showed up one day with a keyboard while I was there and one of those laser light things that goes on houses at Christmas time, and they performed one of the most classic Cuban tunes there ever was, Guantanamera. Here it is. Guantanamera Guajira Sarah McCall's story is an important one to me because it leads me to make a pretty big announcement. This is the second-to-last Neighbors episode for a while. I'm taking a break. Maybe a big one. I'm not really sure. But I'm pursuing more of this. What I mean is, I did this episode because I'm starting a company. Vox Familia. It means voice of the family. I want to help families document their stories for future generations. Learn what they don't know. Have the advantage of a professional outside interviewer guiding the process and then producing something great. You can go to voxfamilia.net. .com was already taken, so net, like you gather stories in a net. 
Once at voxfamilia.net, you can sign up to be notified when the company officially launches, or you can let me know about your family story and why you want it told. Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio and produced by me, Jacob Lewis. The show's editors are Mac Leinbaugh and Anita Bug. Special thanks to Sergio Martinez-Beltran for helping on this episode. Thanks to Robert and family for letting me use this material to show the world. Music in this episode by Poddington Bear. I'm Jacob Lewis, and for the second to last time for a while, I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. <laughs>